I remember growing up, there was a saying. There's three things you don't talk about. Religion, politics, and money. But it is kind of true. It's like, if you want to start an argument, bring up one of those three things. Oh, there you go. Now you have an argument. Enjoy. But today we're going to talk about one of those three. Money. A topic that is very uncomfortable for me. But we're going to be talking to Miss Paula Pant today. Paula is a financial journalist in the brains behind Afford Anything. The Afford Anything blog, newsletter, podcast, and online community are popular resources for practical advice and inspirational stories all in the world of money, finances, investing, real estate. It's all happening. Paula's main goal is to empower everyone, everyone, no matter who you are, to sort of grab your finances by the reins, okay? And to master it. I think a lot of people, even myself included when I was younger, felt like, oh, I will never make enough money. Like, I just, it, it's, especially if you didn't grow up with money, you know, you can fall into a trap of feeling like, well, I'll never make money. This is just, it's just impossible. And the world of money and finances is so confusing. And it it seems to be its whole own language at times. And that doesn't make you feel any better either, right? But Paula is here to help us understand and to empower us to not be afraid of money, to not be afraid of our finances, and to be smart, but to also enjoy life. You know, she's not going to come on here and say, pinch all the pennies. She's here to say, Emma, if you want that Prada bag, and it's really going to make you happy, figure out how to get that Prada bag. You know what I mean? Okay, let's bring in Paula, everybody. <laughs> this episode is presented by haagen It's love at first bite with the new haagen Dulce de Leche bar, featuring rich caramel Dulce de Leche ice cream, swirled with thick, milky Dulce de Leche ribbons and dipped in milk chocolate. Indulgent? Yes. The perfect way to treat yourself? Absolutely. Find at retailers nationwide. That's Dawes. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. Dating can be exhausting. Even just getting to the dating stage is a little bit overwhelming. You know, I'm not somebody who loves casually dating. I like to be in a relationship. Finding somebody you're attracted to is challenging enough, but then making sure that you're compatible is a whole other challenge. Well, Bumble is helping take some of the pressure off. Now you can make the first move or not. It's entirely up to you. Thanks to Bumble's new feature, Opening Moves. It's a simple way to start conversations. Just choose a question and let your matches reply to kick off the chat. Try Opening Moves on the new Bumble. Download Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Colgate Optic White. Their overnight whitening pen gives you visibly whiter teeth in just seven days when used as directed. Just popping the pen into your night routine will have you waking up with that perfect teeth vibe without even trying. I drink a lot of coffee. I drink a little bit of red wine. Listen, my teeth are stained a little bit, okay? And so little tools and tricks that I can add into my routine that make me feel more confident really help in front of the camera and just in my normal life. It's a great way to give yourself an extra confidence boost and live life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White 
Find it at all major retailers. Were you sort of financially savvy as a kid? <laughs> like, you know, those kids who are like, actually, I kind of did this. Like, I used to sell things at school. Like, I'd sell little erasers mm-hmm. that my mom would buy me. Oh, you were super entrepreneurial right from the start. I guess. And that, so, like, my mom would buy me these erasers that were, like, collectible. And then I'd go to school and sell them. Mm-hmm. And then I'd pocket that money and my mom didn't know which is actually like so that's like being entrepreneurial in like the worst way like being kind of sneaky but anyway I didn't know any better it's fine <laughs> um but were you like that like were you financially savvy as a kid because that was the only example of me being financially savvy I loved shopping so mm. yeah I maybe had a little entrepreneurial streak but then I was addicted to shopping even when I was a kid what about you okay so first of all I'm gonna challenge we'll come back to this later but I'm gonna challenge the idea that loving shopping means that you're not financially savvy I I love that I want to challenge okay great we'll get back to that in a second but first to answer your question so sometimes you can do the right things for the wrong reason right so you can have these habits that appear as though they're really healthy, mm-hmm. but they're coming from an unhealthy place. Mm-hmm. And that was me when I was a kid. I was really, really anxious, just super anxious. And I, coming from a place of scarcity, believed that there would never be enough. And mm-hmm. so I clutched onto every penny. I hoarded, not because, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm a good saver, but because I was terrified that I would run out of money. So it was doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And when we get down to the root of money, right, a lot of people make the mistake of believing that money is tactical. Like, you know, you just do X, do Y, do Z or hire it out, right? People make that mistake all the time. Mm -hmm. The reality is most people know the basics of what to do, but we get it in our own way because money truly is behavioral. It's all about unpacking that psychology. Mm -hmm. And at the root of it, everyone is either money anxious money obsessed or money avoidant. Most things that people do, most behaviors, boil down to one of those three things. Anxious, obsessed, avoidant. Interesting. So you were anxious. I was super anxious. Do you feel like over time, how has your relationship Mm. to money evolved personally? I was anxious because I never believed that I had the ability to make a lot of money. I knew I had like no aptitude for STEM, for science, tech, engineering, mm-hmm. math. I had zero aptitude, like biology, chemistry, math class in general. I was, I was bad at. Mm-hmm. And I knew that all of the highest paying professions seemed to be in the STEM fields, right? And so I was like, well, what do, you know, I'm not good at any of that. What can I do? And I had this fear that I would never make money. And so through high school, through college, through my early 20s, because of that fear and because of that lack of confidence, I clutched onto every penny. And it was only as I got older and actually started making good money that I realized, like, I have the ability to make money. I have the capacity to make money. Mm-hmm. The more I grew in confidence in knowing that even if I spend every dime that I make, that's fine because I'm able to go out and make more as long as I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. As long as I have the health to work, mm-hmm. I have the talent and the skill and the ability to make more. And the moment that I started believing that, I allowed myself to begin spending. And so if you look at my actual like dollars and cents, it looks as though my relationship with money, like, you know, it looks as though I've quote unquote gotten worse with money. But if you look at my personal like balance sheet, what you would see on the surface is that right now I'm spending a lot more. Mm-hmm. So it looks like I'm quote unquote bad with it. When in reality, I'm actually 
better with it now because it's coming from a healthier place. I think that is a common misconception is like, it's easy to figure out how to be good at money or good with money. It's just don't spend it. Like spend the least amount Mm -hmm. of it possible. Right. I think that that's the, you know, the common belief, but Mm -hmm. it's sort of a simple band-aid that you can just slap on, on the problem and whatever. So, you know, what is a healthy, yeah, like, like a healthy relationship with money. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, to, to explain a little bit more of why, like, just don't spend is actually an unhealthy attitude. First of all, it's it's incredibly reductive, right? If we were to take that to its logical extreme, we'd be Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Mm-hmm. Ebenezer Scrooge is the perfect example of a guy who lives in abject poverty, despite the fact that he is one of the wealthiest people in his uh, neighborhood, Yep. right? No one wants to be Ebenezer Scrooge, and I think nobody would argue that Ebenezer Scrooge is good with money. Mm-hmm. Um, then on the flip side, you've got Montgomery Burns from The Simpsons, mm-hmm. right? He has a lot of money. He spends a lot of money. He lives in that big mansion, mm-hmm. right? But he is obsessed with it. He's obsessed with making more, and he's obsessed with money for its own sake, mm-hmm. right? And so he's also an example of someone who's not good with money. He's uh, successful at accumulating it, but he's not successful at translating his money into an expression of his values. To be mm. good with money means that you are using money as a physical manifestation of your values, mm. right? So whatever it is that you value, that you prioritize, maybe you prioritize travel mm-hmm. uh, and, and adventure, mm-hmm. right? Underneath, what is travel? Travel is a form of adventure and exploration. Mm-hmm. So maybe what you, the value that you have is adventure and exploration, And the expression of that value is through travel. That's how you use your money in that particular case to express those values. Maybe the value that you have is uh, generosity, right? And so you, uh, you know, you spend your money supporting friends, supporting family. And that can sometimes, you know, you got to be careful because that might tip into, yeah, enabling, right? You Uh you know, you don't, so you, there's a whole lot there to, to do it well, but maybe that's how you express that value. But if you're just clutching onto money, if you're just not spending it, then you're divorcing yourself from the way that you can use your money to be an expression of your deepest priorities. You know, I think a lot of people, their goal in life is to make as much money as possible. Mm -hmm. Like I know growing up, that was my goal, right? I was like, why would I, what other goal is there? Again, it was sort of this obvious goal. Like I just need to make as much money as possible. And I was not factoring in sort of why. But you know what I mean? Like if, right. if you're spending all your time making money mm-hmm. and you make a lot of it, but you have no time to do anything else with it, then what's, I guess, the point? I mean, how do you think balance is best found in that way between, you know, sort of making enough money that you can survive comfortably and then also spend on things kind of that are enjoyable for you, you right. know? So let's zoom out a little and talk talk about limited resources, mm-hmm. right? Because money and time are both limited resources. And so when we're talking about how do you balance uh, how much money you make versus how much time you have, what we're really asking, if you if you go one step above that, is, hey, I have these very, very limited resources, time, money, energy, attention, those are all of the the limitations that I have. Mm-hmm. Now, inside of those limitations, I can exchange one for the other. So I can exchange time for money or I can exchange money for time. 
exchanging time for money is having a job. Exchanging money for time is hiring somebody to mow your lawn, mm-hmm. right? And so within the scope of how much ab- right now at this current moment, how much abundance do I have in each of those categories? How abundant am I in time? How abundant am I in money? You know, typically where you are within that is going to determine, you know, if, if you have a lot of time on your hands, but you don't have a lot of money, all right, then you're going to be hustling a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you've got a lot of money, but you feel a little bit strapped for time, all right, it's it's time to start outsourcing a bit more, Yep. right? Hiring assistants, hiring um, hiring help who can take some of the the workload off your plate, right? And so that exchange, if we look at the pool of like, these are my limited resources, mm-hmm. then it just becomes a question of how do I trade one limited resource for another? Because Ultimately, it's it's a time and money balance. And mm-hmm. that really one of the best uses of money is to trade that money for time because ultimately money is renewable, right? We can always make yeah. more, whereas time is non-renewable. And once it's gone, it's gone. So time is far more valuable. You know, you talked about there's this idea around work that, yeah. that people dislike their work and do it only for money, right? Mm-hmm. That can sometimes be like the knee-jerk reaction to the idea of work. Mm-hmm. but uh, I know I listened to your interview with your mom. You and your mom are both workaholics. Yes. Right. Self self described workaholics. Yes. Right. So and I'm I know that you're not doing that to put groceries on the table, right? You're not doing that because mm-hmm. you're stressed about the cost of bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you love what you do. Yeah. Right? And you've you have been uh creating videos for years. Mm-hmm. And and you do it because you love art, mm-hmm. you love creation, you love video as mm-hmm. an expression. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain thing that happens when your work, like your dad said, it hits that flow state. Yes. Right? Yep. And and though to the extent that you can you can direct your energy towards doing work that is not just like drudgery for the sake of earning a dollar. Mm-hmm. Sometimes sometimes there's an era in your life when you have to. Of course. Right? Like mm-hmm. and you do what you got to do in that moment. Mm-hmm. But in in terms of the long game, the big picture, mm-hmm. if your work can be the type of thing where you are creating something of value yep. that you are putting out into the world, the more you do that, the more richly you'll be rewarded. I do have a question for you yeah. about, you know, your sort of job journey, right? Like Mm. you were sort of more in a nine to five and Mm -hmm. then eventually broke out of that. Tell me about that journey, you know, like your journey through jobs over the years. Yeah, totally. Well, so I, straight out of college, I went to work for a newspaper. I was a newspaper reporter. And this was back in the days, I'm dating myself a bit, but this was back when Craigslist first started mm-hmm. and classified ad revenue was going away. Mm-hmm. So this was in the days when everyone in the newspaper world was panicking because those classified ads used to be like such a big source of income. Yep. And so I would go to these journalism conferences and everyone was like, the internet killed all the jobs, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> like people were so pessimistic. Yeah. And then I would go to content creator conferences and they were like, the internet created so many jobs. Yes, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> and everyone was super optimistic. And it was really hard for me to understand, like, people who are trained in journalism are really, in my opinion, like some of the best qualified mm-hmm. content creators. Because, totally. right? Yes. And yet no one was doing it. Yeah. Like, so many journalists were just stuck in this, like, well, I need to keep applying for jobs. And yep. no one was just 
making that pivot to being like, I can be my own boss. Yes. Right? I'm just the one who decided that rather than, um, you know, going for job interviews, I was just going to make the pivot to doing my own thing. Yep. You know? And so, and what's beautiful about living in in the era of the internet, mm-hmm. right, is that anyone can do that. Yeah. The, the gatekeepers have gone away. And... There are low barriers to entry to starting your own business. And so, you know, it used to be that if you wanted to start a business, you needed a brick and mortar retail location. Like Mm -hmm. you needed a high cost of capital. Mm -hmm. And it was so shut out for most people. Yep. And now anyone with a smartphone can can make something. Yep. You know? Do you feel like your journey from being, you know, anxious about money as a child to then, you know, going into the into the work world in a very traditional way to then being like, I need to get creative right now. I have to figure something out. Oh, wait, I figured something out. Did that journey sort of enlighten others on on what you had discovered? Like what what came first? Was your fascination around money? Was, did that come first yeah. or was it your experience you know, in, in the, in the workforce, was that what made you? Yeah. Well, I think there were a couple of things that were happening, uh, in tandem. So one, so I'm, I'm an immigrant. Mm -hmm. I was born in Kathmandu, Nepal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was two months old when I came to the U S and so my parents, when I was a little kid, uh, a lot of the things that most people's parents do before they're born, like I watched my parents as, as brand new immigrants go through all of these milestones that um, most people tend to do when they're in their teens or early 20s, right? They they bought their first car. They bought like a, a tiny little starter home. My dad didn't open his first retirement account until he was 50, mm-hmm. 50. Mm-hmm. And so I watched them be very, very frugal out of necessity mm-hmm. um, just because they were getting a late start in life. Mm-hmm. You know, they like when you earn in Nepalese rupees, it doesn't translate to anything when yep. you translate that to U.S. dollars. But they were doing all of the right things, mm-hmm. right? They were clipping coupons. We never went to restaurants. I think because I saw frugality, but I also saw its limitations, you know? Yes. Like I saw that frugality would help you survive, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it would keep you off the streets, mm-hmm. but it would never help you get ahead. And the way that I like to say that now is you can't shrink your way to greatness. Mm-hmm. You know, frugality is, if you think of it as sports, frugality is playing defense, mm-hmm. but entrepreneurship is playing offense or investing mm. is playing offense, mm-hmm. right? And in a good sports game, you've got to do both. But that understanding came later. It came, it started with me being in high school, realizing that my parents were doing all the right things and they were really frugal, but we still weren't really getting ahead. And uh, I I also, I went to an all-girls Catholic school. <gasps> Um, and so I would see these other kids at school and they were doing what I considered rich kid stuff, which like, (laughs) you know, like eating at Panera bread. I thought that was a rich kid thing to do. You know, I was like, I can't imagine having $14 to spend on a kale and strawberry salad. (laughs) That was my definition at that time of what a rich person was. Yes. But I saw these other kids at high school who had that kind of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was like, I don't, what is it that they're doing that I, that we are not. And then I started reading books and I started learning about it. And I was like, oh, okay. The the difference is investing. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. When you're feeling down, sometimes it's good to be alone. But talking can also be a big help. 
keeping everything bottled up is not great for your health. It would cause me a lot of stress and anxiety. It's almost like, I use this metaphor a lot, but it's almost like carrying a backpack around. And when you have stuff bottled up, it gets added to the backpack. And when you talk about it, you get to take it out of the backpack. Now the backpack's a little bit lighter. Once I got older and I learned how to communicate, I never stopped because I like having an empty backpack. It just feels better and my quality of life is better. When you need to talk and need a safe space, I highly recommend therapy. It's a great way to work through whatever's bothering you in a judgment-free place. There's something really special about having a resource to talk to that is not involved in your life on a personal level. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash anything today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash anything. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. Dating can be exhausting. Even just getting to the dating stage is a little bit overwhelming. You know, I'm not somebody who loves casually dating. I like to be in a relationship. Finding somebody you're attracted to is challenging enough, but then making sure that you're compatible is a whole other challenge. Well, Bumble is helping take some of the pressure off. Now you can make the first move or not. It's entirely up to you. Thanks to Bumble's new feature, Opening Moves. It's a simple way to start conversations. Just choose a question and let your matches reply to kick off the chat. Try opening moves on the new Bumble. Download Bumble now. Talk about sort of your slogan, right? Like mm. when did the, tell me the story of this slogan. You can afford anything, but not everything. Yeah. When did this sort of message come into your brain and dig into it? Yeah, absolutely. So, so this happened at the time that I quit my newspaper job. Mm-hmm. I'd saved up about $25,000, which was all the money that I had in the, in the entire world. Mm-hmm. It was a $700 ticket to Cairo, one way. Um, so I flew to Egypt on a one-way ticket. And for the next 27 months, I lived out of a backpack and just traveled, uh, mostly sticking to countries where the dollar exchange rate really worked in my favor. Yeah. So I spent six weeks in Egypt. I spent about a month in Laos. I spent a month in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. I lived on a budget of around $1,000 a month. Mm. And I was able to do that at first by being in countries like Laos and Cambodia, mm-hmm. right? Countries where the dollar goes a lot further. Yep. And second, I wasn't like traveling around doing touristy things. You know, I was like... I'd go to one location, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I was minimizing transit cost, yep. and then I would just stay in that one location in a guest house, like eating the same food that locals eat, like just living like a local, yep. you know? And at that time, I was like reading books. I would write the occasional freelance article, but mm-hmm. I was mostly just there to experience the culture mm-hmm. and to have that that adventure. Mm-hmm. And so many of my friends back at home said, oh, I would love to do that. I would love to travel Southeast Asia, but I can't afford it. And yeah. I heard that over and over and over. And I knew that these were friends who lived in apartments, like luxury apartments with stainless steel appliances, yep. right? And they would go to the bars and spend $14 on a cocktail, totally. right? yeah. Or they'd, there'd be a concert in town where like the concert tickets were 100 bucks, and mm-hmm. they would go. And so I saw them. They would spend their money in these ways. And then they would turn around and say, I'd love to travel, but I can't afford it. And so here's the thing. If you sit down 
And again, remember how I said money is an expression of your values. Mm -hmm. If you really ponder, like, what do I value? And you decide that wanting to maximize your life at home is what you value. Yep. And you, so you make the conscious decision that the creature comforts of having a luxury apartment, having the $14 martini, having the $100 concert ticket, you decide that that is genuinely what you value. Yeah. And you prioritize that above and beyond anything else, including travel. I applaud that. That's great because that is conscious, thoughtful, deliberate spending. Mm -hmm. But if that's the case, then the, then the way to express that is not, I can't afford to travel. The way to express that is, I choose not to. It's not a priority. So what about your acronym, uh -huh. FIRE? Ah, yes. Dig into FIRE for me, too. <laughs> we have to lay the groundwork here, and then we can really dig in. Okay, perfect, perfect. So there is a movement online uh, called the FIRE movement. And so FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. Uh, and I have my own different acronym mm -hmm. for FIRE. Mm -hmm. And my acronym, my personal acronym for it is Financial Psychology, Investing, Real Estate, yep. Entrepreneurship. So we'll, let's talk about both of those. Yes. So first, the general online acronym of FIRE, Financial Independence, Retire Early. Financial independence is the point at which you no longer have to trade time for money. So mm. it's the point at which you have enough residual income typically through investments, that you have enough, right? So if you think about Taylor Swift, mm -hmm. uh, if she decided to stop working today, she could easily live for the rest of her life, Yeah, right? She doesn't have to go on the Eras tour or put out a new album uh, for the sake of putting groceries on the table, yep. right? She's fine for the rest of her life, right? Warren Buffett, same thing, fine for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these people who we typically think of as quote-unquote wealthy mm -hmm. in a traditional sense are financially independent. They're not working because they have to. They're working because they want to, right? And so financial independence can is anyone who, who has enough money to do that, right? On a smaller scale, it's the person who uh, works as a registered nurse but saves 30% of her income mm -hmm. and invests it in index funds mm -hmm. and does that for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And eventually the money that she has built up in her portfolio is enough that it's pretty much going to match what she was spending as as a registered nurse. And so mm -hmm. she's like, cool, I've got enough, right? That's financial independence. Yep. Now, the other side of the the FIRE acronym, retire early, I, I don't actually like those two being like conflated into one yeah. thing. Yeah. So a lot of people are drawn to the fire movement because they're like, oh, once I have enough, I can retire. So like that registered right. nurse who doesn't who maybe doesn't like her job is like, once I have enough money that it's matching what I make uh, in my day-to-day -day life, mm -hmm. I can then retire. Mm -hmm. But the problem is when we conflate those ideas together, we we end up with a bunch of problems. First of all, retirement is one of many options. You could choose to retire. Mm -hmm. You could choose to change careers. Mm -hmm. You could choose to do, I mean, you could choose to do anything. Yeah. Right? Why would you make one of the many possible choices? Why would you confuse that with yeah. the idea of having that freedom in the first place? Yeah. It, it does kind of take away the freedom. It's yeah. like, what if you want to go and, you know, maybe 
get a job that is it's like doesn't pay a lot, but you enjoy it. Exactly. That's not retiring technically. Exactly. So it's like this idea that now you need to move to the Florida Keys like the second. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like it. Yeah. Exactly. I. So what about yours? All right. So my FIRE acronym is financial psychology, investing, real estate, and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And if you can master all of those, then you've got the building blocks of good overall financial wellness. Mm -hmm. So financial psychology is the first piece. It's the foundational piece. And it's, I would argue, the most important piece because money is not tactical. It's behavioral. And to get to the root of why we behave the way we do with money, Mm -hmm. we need to understand our own inner psychology. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned earlier, people tend to fall into one of three categories. They're either anxious, they're avoidant, or they're obsessed. Mm. So if you're obsessed with money, you know, we see these people who like they blow it to show it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they're all flash, no cash, and they really conflate their self-worth with their net worth. Yep. Money avoidant tend to be people who have really internalized these the notion that like rich people are greedy. Yeah. Um, or money corrupts. Or the idea, I'd rather be happy than rich, Mm -hmm. like as though they're mutually exclusive, Mm -hmm. as though you can't be both at the same time. Totally. Right? So they've really internalized these ideas Mm -hmm. and they've internalized this notion like, look, if rich people are evil, well, I don't want to be evil, so I'm just never going to be rich. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. And by doing so, you sabotage your own success, even at a subconscious level. You hold yourself back because why would you ever want to be rich or successful or powerful if you deep down believe that rich, successful, powerful people are evil or bad or greedy. Yeah. So like people who have really internalized that, those scripts Mm -hmm. tend to be money avoidant. Mm -hmm. And then you've got then people who are money anxious. And that can either be because you don't have enough. Mm -hmm. And so you're anxious about, you know, like as I described myself when I was younger, Mm -hmm. or it could be because you have a lot. And so now you're worried that you're going to lose it. You're worried it's going to get stolen. You're worried that people are going to use you for it. So like either way, regardless of whether it's due to scarcity or due to abundance, you are living in the state of Mm hypervigilance. So then what is the happy state? Mm. You know, like what is the healthy state? Because when you were just describing this, I actually think I'm avoidant, Mm. weirdly. Like I'm always like, yeah, it's weird. I've always been sort of avoidant about it. Or no, actually it's not true. I was anxious as a kid. And then I think now I'm avoidant. Right. Like, I just don't want to see it. I want to believe it. It's weird. I I wonder if that's because, and I, I don't mean to, like, play armchair psychologist. No, I love this. <laughs> Get into it. But I wonder if that's because, you know, when you were a kid, you didn't have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And now you have significantly more. Mm-hmm. You know, you have probably more than you ever. The 12-year-old version of yourself would not have imagined where you are today. Yeah. And so I'm guessing... There's probably some imposter syndrome. For sure. Right? There's probably some sense of, wait, do I even deserve this? Because Yes. And how did this happen? And there there are mm-hmm. all these other people who you see working so much harder for so much less. Yes. Right? And so and so all of that then ends up turning into avoidance because deep down you don't feel like you really deserve it in the first place. That's absolutely spot on. Yeah. So what is yeah. the like happy like what's the happy medium? Because I mean, or is it always is the relationship with money always one of those three that's a little bit faulty? I mean, what is the, is there even a name for 
for a, a balanced relationship with money. Right, like a healthy relationship. I would say it's a lifelong practice. Like, mm. you know, in the way that a relationship between a couple, you're, you're never done. Like with mm-hmm. your spouse, your partner, your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, like you're never like, okay, our relationship is healthy forever. Like, yeah. That's, it's, that's not a thing, you know, that's because- true. You, the two of you are dynamic and the two of you are always changing. And so you constantly have to be working on your relationship. And the way that you do that oftentimes is just by observing what's coming up within you Mm. and then asking yourself, wait a minute, let's unpack that. Like, what's behind that? And so I think the relationship with money, a relationship that a person has with money is similar to that in that you're never done having a healthy relationship with money. Mm -hmm. Because your relationship with money is very much a reflection. It's it's a projection of all of the the gunk uh, and the noise that is inside of you. Yeah. Right? Getting projected onto money. Yep. It's like your relationship with yourself. Yeah. If you've got a really healthy relationship with yourself, that's gonna that's likely gonna translate into a very, very healthy relationship with money. Mm-hmm. But if there are parts of yourself that are suffering from trauma or from damage or from, you know, just feelings of of brokenness or insecurity or, or yeah. inadequacy, that's going to translate into your relationship with money. Mm-hmm. So what about investing? Yeah. The eye. The eye. The, the eye of oh. your fire. Okay. So I. So we'll kind of take these together. The ire. Yes. <laughs> the yes, the yes. ire of fire. Yes. We'll take these together because when we talk, so investing real estate entrepreneurship, Right. As an entrepreneur, if you run your own business, you are investing money into that business, but you're doing so in a much more active way, mm-hmm. right? As a, Versus as an investor who's investing passively into things that you don't actually have any day-to-day involvement in. Mm-hmm. If you buy a share of Coca-Cola stock, mm-hmm. right? If you don't work for the Coca-Cola company, you have no day-to-day involvement in it. Right. You just bought some stock on the public market and that's that. Yep. So traditional public markets investing is very passive, Whereas if we go to the other side of ire, right, entrepreneurship is very, very active. Yep. Owning real estate is sort of a hybrid uh, between the two. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fitting that the R falls into the middle. Mm-hmm. And so if you think of ire, you can sort of see it as a spectrum of moving from passive to active. Uh-huh. Right. Where uh, public markets investing, mm-hmm. buying stocks, buying bonds, things like that, that's the most passive. Mm-hmm. Uh Building your own business, that's the most active. And and that gradient in between, that's uh that's that's how you move along the like the passive mm-hmm. to active continuum. So it's almost like those are sort of the main ways to get to a point where you're financially independent. It's like you can is it a combination of investing real estate in entrepreneurship? Is it is it choosing just one? Like it, like is there sort of no rules? Like if you were to be giving advice yeah. to the average person, what would that advice be? So remember how with the financial independence, retire early. Yeah. So the FI is really the heart of it. And the retire early is like one of many options. Mm-hmm. The same thing is true in my de- acronym of FIRE. Yes. The R and the E, the real estate and entrepreneurship, those are options. You don't have yeah. to do it. Yep. You know, those are there. If you want to, fine. If you don't. Don't. I guess it's know? like if it aligns with your values. Ultimately. Yeah, exactly. Okay, fair. Exactly. Sure. If it aligns with your interests and values, cool. If not, you don't need it. Mm-hmm. The Fundamentally, all you need is that, again, with mine, sim- just like the other, just the F and the I. Mm-hmm. You need to understand your own financial psychology and you need to, at a minimum, you need to invest 
for retirement, mm -hmm. right? So you'll need a four if you live in the U.S. a four hundred one k or a four hundred three b or an IRA. You'll need some type of a, uh, an account or or just a taxable brokerage account. Yeah, right. Um, but you need some type of an account where you can make investments in. You know, you can you buy into a broad market index fund. That's basically a big basket that tracks all of the publicly traded stocks. Mm -hmm. Get an account, buy a broad market index fund, hold it for the next 40 years, mm -hmm. and you'll it, keep contributing to it every month, mm -hmm. and you'll be golden. Wow. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. It's very, very simple. I know. My, my dad is so, he's always said, Emma, mm -hmm. it's, you have to invest. This is all it is. And I'm like... It's so daunting. It's yeah. so daunting. Like I, I'm so overwhelmed by, because I want to understand it, and I don't. Mm. Like I, and it's and that's kind of my fault. You know what I mean? I think a lot of young people, especially, are like, I'll figure that out later. But I do think that from everyone who has more life experience than me, the advice is to invest. Yeah, it's like that is. The best thing that you can do. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to make it really simple. Yeah, please, really, please, 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 really please. Simple. So I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who get paid to make it sound more complicated than it is, right? Ooh. Because mm -hmm. if you can scare people into thinking that it's complicated, then people are going to throw up their hands and be like, let me just pay you to handle it. So there's a whole financial industry out there yes. that has a vested interest in making it feel scary and feel complicated. Mm -hmm. It's actually not. So first of all, I threw out a bunch of letters and, and numbers, mm -hmm. 401k, 403b, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, IRA, right? Those are all just different types of accounts. And what is an account? Think of when you go to the bar, mm -hmm. right? When you go to the bar, there are there's a pint glass, mm -hmm. which typically holds beer. There's a martini glass, which typically holds vodka. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a shot glass, which, you know, might hold whiskey. It might hold tequila. It might hold, you know, gin. Mm -hmm. But um, just because a particular vessel is designed to have a particular substance in it, you don't have to put that substance in it if you don't want to. Yep. You can take a champagne flute and put water in it or mm -hmm. coffee or mm -hmm. you can you can put anything you want in a champagne flute. It's just that because a champagne flute so often contains champagne, a lot of people will conflate the two. So when we talk about these various accounts, right, there's 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, blah, 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 blah. Those accounts are just vessels. That mm -hmm. Those accounts are just the, the glasses that hold the substance. Mm -hmm. And then when we talk about various investments, right, we talk about uh, stocks or bonds or CDs or money market, you know, those are the substances that go inside of the vessels. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll hear people say, oh, I don't want to open a 401k because I don't trust the stock market. Mm -hmm. Well, a 401k is just an account. Yeah. The stock market or stocks are a particular type of substance. Yep. So you can open a 401k, you can open an account and you don't need to necessarily have stocks in there. I would rec I recommend that you do, and we can talk about why later. Mm -hmm. But you don't necessarily have to have stocks in there if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing to understand is the, just the distinction between the vessel, you know, yeah. the pint glass, yeah. and the beer that goes inside of it. Yeah. So to invest, uh, first just get a glass. I don't even care which one. Yeah. Just to start. You just need an account. Yeah. Yep. Get something. Yep. Start with something. Mm -hmm. All right. And then fundamentally stocks and bonds right those are the two big types of publicly traded 
investments. Mm -hmm. And a stock is just a piece of ownership in a company. Yep. Right. And you don't, the good news is you don't have to choose which companies are going to be winners or losers because there are these indexes and an index is just a bunch of stocks that are all traded together. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest one in the United States, the biggest one is called the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. And that is 500 companies, 500 of the biggest companies in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so if all you do is get an S&P 500 index fund, mm -hmm. right, get that, get a total bond market index fund, mm -hmm. boom, it's as simple as that. There's, there's also one that's called a total stock market index yeah. fund. Just get that, right? Interesting. So it's like, it's almost like, yeah, there are going to be some people who are really into investing and they're like tracking the patterns of this and that and this and that and trying to sort of, you know, invest in the most fruitful way, like the way right. that's going to be like explosive or something like that. But you don't necessarily need to do that. You can just invest in the S&P 500 and be like, I'm good. Yeah. Is that sort of the vibe? Well, actually, what's interesting is that the, the data shows that people who try to beat the index don't. Really? Yeah. Yeah. St really? Statistically speaking, the laziest approach is actually the most profitable. What a treat that yeah, is. Right? Wow. Yeah. So, and it goes against our nature, like in almost any other field, mm -hmm. in in art, in science, in mm -hmm. technology, in, in anything else, in, in athletics, yeah. in anything else that we do, the more we try, the better results we get. Right? Mm -hmm. Investing is the one area where the more you try, the worse results you get. Right? Statistically yeah. speaking, if you try to beat the index, you don't. Yep. Right? Most people who try to beat the index end up underperforming, which is just a fancy way of saying doing worse. Yeah. Most people who try to beat the index end up doing worse over time. Now, sometimes you'll see headlines where so and so uh, beat. The, they beat the total stock market mm -hmm. for the last five years. Big freaking whoop. Five years in the span of a human lifetime yeah. is a blink of an eye. Yep. Almost nobody can consistently over 40 years or 50 years reliably beat the index. Wow. And so your best bet is actually the simplest and laziest one, which oh. is you just stick with, I mean, if you want to keep it really simple, just get two index, indexes. Get a total stock market index get a total bond market index, have a combination of both, put them in one of the vessels. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you you would put it in a tax-advantaged vessel, yeah. right, a, which is just a vessel that gives you a tax break, uh -huh. right? So put it in one of those vessels and you're good. And, and the most important thing is just that you keep contributing regularly. Uh -huh. So with every paycheck, just keep putting money in. And yeah. so where, where most people go wrong, is most people try to time the market. So they'll say, oh, you know, uh, this is happening. You know, there's there's a recession going on. Yeah. Or I'm worried that there might be a recession coming up. Uh, there's a pandemic happening right now. Mm -hmm. Like people are looking around at all of these big geopolitical events and they're trying to make guesses about what might happen in the future. And they're trying to time the market. That's a mistake. Yeah. Don't do any of that. Mm -hmm. The people who are the most successful just routinely put in exactly the same amount of money with every single paycheck. Uh -huh. And so imagine that you get paid once every two weeks, yeah. right? And we'll say with every paycheck, you put in X amount of money. Maybe it's 100, maybe it's 500, maybe it's 1,000, whatever you can afford. Yep. Right? If you're putting in the same, we'll say just 500. Mm -hmm. If you're putting in the same $500 per paycheck, 
then naturally, whenever the stock market is expensive, meaning when stocks are high, right, naturally that same $500 is going to buy fewer shares Mm -hmm. because stocks are expensive. And if you're putting in that same $500 every two weeks, every every paycheck, then naturally when stocks are low, that same $500 is going to buy more. Yeah. So by virtue of putting in the same fixed amount of money with every paycheck, you inherently, automatically end up buying more stocks when they're cheap and fewer stocks when they're expensive. So I guess that's sort of the most practical piece of advice for like the average person. It's like it it's like anyone can benefit from from investing in this simple yeah. way. But I guess my question is like what about people who are let's say in student debt or you know maybe people who they are living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have that extra fifty dollars. Yeah. What's your advice for those people to get out of that period into have that surplus? So it's like, how do you, yeah, you know, yeah. how do you get there? Yeah, totally. So if you're living paycheck to paycheck, then start with one percent. Now, one percent means ten dollars for every thousand dollars that you make. Mm-hmm. So if you make uh, three thousand dollars a month, right? Start with thirty bucks a month, mm-hmm. right? And so this month, if you if you if your income is three thousand dollars a month, this month my challenge to you is to set aside thirty bucks mm-hmm. and to put the those thirty dollars into uh, a Roth IRA, which mm-hmm. is one of the many types of accounts, mm-hmm. right? Do that this month. Next month, do one more percent, so sixty dollars, mm-hmm. right? And if you just continually do that. Start with 1% and then increase by an additional 1% every month. Mm -hmm. And do that for somewhere between 6 to 12 months. Mm -hmm. By virtue of doing that, then within 6 months to a year, you'll be saving between 6 to 12% of your income, Mm -hmm. right? And But but it's going to be gradual, right? It's going to start with 1% this month Mm -hmm. and it's going to be 2% next month and it's going to be 3% the month after that. And then, then the question is, all right, how do I either cut my expenses by $50 a month mm-hmm. or how do I increase my income by $50 a month? Right. Right? Yep. And so you're every month you're solving for that. But of course, in a given month, you're never going to cut exactly 50 or earn exactly 50. Totally. Right? But what that does is like, if you stay on that trajectory, if your goal each month, well, say you make 5000 a month, your goal each month is just to increase it by an extra 50 bucks a month. Yeah. Then even if... One month it's 30 and the next month it's 70 and the next month it's 45. Yeah. You know, you're still kind of hugging to that 50 bucks a month and you're still increasing over time. Yeah. So it's almost like it's sort of, it motivates you to sort of, I don't know, like you can get really creative to make that $50, for example. Like right. if you're like, oh, I want, I, you know, I want to go out and make an extra $50, you know, it'll sort of give you a reason to do that that you wouldn't else. Right. Otherwise, you know what I mean? Right. Do. What is your advice for people who sort of maybe have a mentality where they're like, I can't, mm. you know, like people who are like, I can't make money. Like I yeah. don't attract money. I don't make money. Yeah. This is my life. There's no getting out of it. There's no ch- turning it around. Yeah. This is just my deck of cards. What are your thoughts on that? You know, the story that you tell yourself, right, your money story mm-hmm. that you tell yourself is the single biggest predictor of of your financial future, right? If you tell yourself the story of that that you just described, mm-hmm. then that story becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And 
a large part of that is because the story that you just described is a story where your what's called your locus of control is outside of yourself. Locus just means location, mm-hmm. right? So your where you locate the source of control, the source of power. Mm-hmm. If you locate that into the external world and you say the external world is broken, mm-hmm. uh, which it is, that's true. But if you put all of your, if you give that all of your power and you don't see the power inside of yourself, mm-hmm. then then you do end up stuck. But so what you need to do is change that story and flip that script. Mm-hmm. That's why financial psychology is the single most important, like your financial mindset mm-hmm. is the single most important thing. Because when you flip that script and you put your locus of control internally mm-hmm. and you say, you know what? Um, yeah, it's true that the world is broken. And it's true that my childhood sucked. And it's true that, you know, like X and Y and Z, those things are all true. We're not invalidating any of that. Mm-hmm. But I also have these advantages. I have this power. Like there are so many things that I can do. All right. And like once you flip the script and start telling yourself a more empowering story, then the question, it changes from I can't to how can I? Mm -hmm. And if every time you find yourself thinking I can't, you flip that script and ask how can I? Uh, you start seeing the world in different ways. This episode is brought to you by Colgate Optic White. Their overnight whitening pen gives you visibly whiter teeth in just seven days when used as directed. Just popping the pen into your night routine will have you waking up with that perfect teeth vibe without even trying. I drink a lot of coffee. I drink a little bit of red wine. Listen, my teeth are stained a little bit, okay? And so little tools and tricks that I can add into my routine that make me feel more confident, really help in front of the camera and just in my normal life. It's a great way to give yourself an extra confidence boost and live life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Bi. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering, what made Bi so great? And it's actually pretty simple. Bi is infused with antioxidants. And whatever flavor you're picking up, for me, it has to be Bi Raspberry Lemon Lime by Sydney Sweeney. You'll also find that it has electrolytes and no artificial sweeteners. So for flavorful hydration, choose Bi. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Bi and discover all the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbi.com. It is almost like our ultimate goal in life is to survive, right? And a big part of that Mm. is money. So a lot of us, I think, fall into this routine that everyone else did you know the traditional sort of path of like you go to college and you get this job and you you know do this and you do that it is so hard because it's so easy to just sort of fall into this stereotypical routine right the prescribed and then, path but then yeah. there's also this like desire too to on the other hand completely reject yeah the original structure it's like you know or the the um expected structure which is also bad because you don't right. want to completely reject because that might be a great path for you. It's also like some people might, this is very Gen Z, but young people might be like, well, I don't want to go to college because, you know, I, I want to be entrepreneurial and it's not as entrepreneurial to go to college. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or young people might be like, I don't want to get married because everybody gets married. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sort of 
succumb to the man. You know, like yeah. there's this sort of desire rebellion. to do that. Rebellion. Yeah. And I feel like my generation is definitely in a phase of rebellion. What's interesting about rebellion is that you're still shackled by expectation within mm. rebellion. Absolutely. Right? It's so ironic. Yeah, yes. exactly. It's yes. like if you're if you're doing something because it's contrary to what's expected, you're still doing it because it's expected. You're still going by a book. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're maybe not going by the book, but you're still going by a book. Yeah, so you're not exactly. a free thinker as you feel. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Like like true freedom is doing something in a vacuum of what's expected, right? You're mm-hmm. doing it you're doing it because it it's what feels most true to you. Mm-hmm. You're neither doing it because it's expected nor are you not doing it as a reactionary mm-hmm. like anti-measure, mm-hmm. right? Either way, I think the common thread that both of those share is that they're not uh, and I know this is a very overused word, but they're not authentic. Mm-hmm. Meaning they're not uh coming from the quiet inside of you. Mm-hmm. And so I think follow your curiosity. Mm. Like that's what I would say to people. It's like, it's hard. People say follow your passion, but sometimes it's hard to know what you're passionate about. Yes, totally. But follow your curiosity. Yeah. What are you curious about? Do you think anyone can find fulfillment yeah, in their career? I do. I do. I yes. See, I agree too. I mean, but then it's also like, I think about certain jobs that, I feel like nobody would want to do. Yeah. Like even being a garbage man, you know, like it smells bad, you know, it's, it's, but it's like maybe there are some people who genuinely love that. They love that they see the same people every day. They like, I, I guess my question is, is that realistic? Like, is that a realistic yeah. goal for, for humanity that everyone can find fulfillment in their job in one yeah. way or another? I think it's essential to find fulfillment in your career because mm-hmm. your career is where you spend you know, at least 40 hours of your week, mm-hmm. right? And so and that's, a, that's a huge, huge chunk of your, uh, of your time, of your, of your waking life. Now, there are a couple of things that I would say. One is there's a distinction between a, jo- a temporary job that you might have for mm-hmm. a moment versus a 40-year career over the span of your lifetime. Mm-hmm. So I, I worked a bunch of food service jobs when I was in high school and college, mm-hmm. right? Those jobs for me, they were never going to be my career, right? But those were jobs. Like there's a distinction between a job that you do temporarily. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say temporarily, it might be for a few years. But there's a distinction between a job that you do temporarily for a brief era in your life mm-hmm. versus what you do long term, right? So so that's one difference. Mm-hmm. The other thing is there are a lot of people. So for me, I worked food service and I was like, this is not my path. There are a lot of people who go into food service and they're like, wow, I'm actually I'm really into this. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to go further in this. And I think I'd, I'd like to, you know, I'm starting out as a bar back, but like I would love to one day be a bartender. Yep. And then eventually I would love to open my own bar, yeah. you know, or I'm starting out um just like as a food runner, mm-hmm. but I would love to one day eventually become a sous chef and then maybe become mm-hmm. a chef. Yeah. Which, by the way, there's actually research. There's a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Mm-hmm. The average millionaire in the United States, uh, first of all, four out of five millionaires in the U.S. are uh, first generation millionaires. Mm-hmm. So they did not come from uh, they did not come from money. Yeah. They are the first generation in their family to be millionaires. Mm-hmm. Of the the four out of five millionaires in the U.S. who fit that category, the bulk of them 
are not only are they entrepreneurs, but they're entrepreneurs in what are known as like kind of boring professions. So totally janitorial services. Yeah. Right. Uh, because there's not a lot of competition there. It's not glamorous. Yep. And because of the fact that it's not glamorous, you can really grow something big. What would you say if there were a course in high school for kids? Like, what is the most valuable information? Obviously, at school, you can only fit in so much. Right. So if you had to fit three smaller topics into a course for high schoolers about being financially literate, what would you teach? And, like, what would be those three smaller topics? The first thing I would say is, you know, going back to what I said earlier, that Money is a physical representation of your values. Mm -hmm. And so to figure out how you want to spend your money, first you need to figure out what your values are. And what that means is that you might not be doing the same things that everybody else is, mm -hmm. right? It's like, be weird, mm -hmm. you know, be weird. Because we live in this society where we're taught that you should spend on X, Y, and Z just because that's what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. People feel this pressure, like you said earlier, to you get the fancy car, you get the fancy home, you spend your money on uh, appointments, like you get brows and lashes yeah, and yeah, nails, yeah. right? And you do it just because everybody else is and you feel like it's expected of you. Yep. But if you can shed that mm -hmm. and and really ask yourself, like, do do I care about my my hair and my nails and my... Uh, and and maybe, like, I know you, you came to the conclusion you do care about your nails, you don't care about your hair. Yes. Right? Yes, 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 right? yes, yes. So, like, that's an example of being really, really clear about what you care about, mm -hmm. your nails, mm -hmm. and what you don't care about, your mm -hmm. hair. Yep. So you're going to spend time and money on your nails, and you're not going to spend any time or money on your hair. Yep. Right? And you take that and you make that bigger. You apply that to everything in life. Do you really care about a fancy car? Yep. And some people do. Some people are obsessed with cars totally. and they read car magazines and they you know yes. like and that's their thing yep and other people it's like if you lived alone on a deserted island and nobody saw what you drove that's a great test yeah yes exactly it's right. like the the deserted island test we need to trademark that exactly like, it's so good okay so what else would you teach high schoolers mm. like two more two more like is it investing like is it like the basics of investing or do you think that's something that kids can go and learn on their own. Like, what What else? All of the information that I, I said earlier about open an account, get a total stock market index fund and a total bond market index fund, mm -hmm. have a mix of the two, put money in it every month routinely with every paycheck, yep. and you're good, right? It, it does not have to be any more complicated than that. Yep. That's very step-by-step. -step. It's very actionable. It's very tactical. Mm -hmm. That's great and it's important, but I, I literally can and just did say that in 30 seconds. Yeah. Right? What influences whether or not you're actually going to do that is unpacking the money stories that you tell yourself. Mm -hmm. There's so many get-rich-quick schemes out there. Like, TikTok is the worst space Ooh. to learn about money. Yeah. Right? But, like, why do people fall prey to get-rich-quick schemes? It's because a lot of times the, the slow and steady... Um, you know, gradual, mm -hmm. incremental, like just put money in with every paycheck and don't touch it. It feels so passive. Yeah. Right. That people are like, I, I feel like I should be doing more. I feel yeah. like I should be taking action. Yep. Right. So, yeah, you can you can teach the tactics, but most people get in their own way. 
And most people get in their own way because they have some type of a story that they're telling themselves, Mm -hmm. the story that they should be doing more, the story that they should be responding to broader economic news, Mm -hmm. the story that they should be trying to time the market. They have all of these myths and misconceptions, and those pull them off of that track and create all of this unnecessary complexity and actually end up doing way more damage. Yeah. So I guess it's like, I'm thinking about it now, and it's so true. A lot of people say, oh, like, why didn't they teach us how to, yeah. you know, do this, this, or that with with money in school? And that's somewhat true. Like, I think there yeah. is some value to, like, maybe a semester of learning how to do, learning how to invest, you know, learning how to do various things like that. I do think that's helpful, but I think you make a great point that none of that matters unless you understand the psychology of it. It just doesn't even matter. And I do think it's true that, you know, you can easily go out and learn the, the technical side of things, you know, like the, like how things work. What do you recommend like for, for young people who are coming into maybe a bit of their own money for the first time? Yeah. What's your recommendation for young people on how to learn Because I think there is something hard to grasp about money for some reason, like how these things work. It's all a whole new language. Yeah. What's the easiest way to understand it properly? Yeah. Like, is it reading a book? Is it, what is it? So, so here's what I, so if you're young, if you're 22, you've just graduated from college, you've got your first like steady, steady paycheck for Mm -hmm. the first time in your life. Right. Um, First of all, know that. It's it's not that complicated, but there are vested interests that want you to think it's complicated because mm-hmm. they make money if you get overwhelmed. Yep. Second, if you have a job that has a 401k or a 403b and there's some type of an employer match, get the full employer match. I don't care if you're in debt. I don't care. I don't care about any. Get the full employer match mm-hmm. because that employer match is Part of your page, it truly is yours. You're earning that money. Yeah. And you're just, if you're not getting the full employer match, you are not getting a portion of the money that you've earned in your job. Mm. Like, you are entitled to that money. That is part of your compensation. Mm -hmm. So you're just foregoing part of your compensation, foregoing part of your paycheck by not getting that. Okay. So get the full employer match. Number three, just stick with broad market index funds. So to uh, to keep it super simple, Total stock market, total bond market. Yep. Right? Get just those two. Mm -hmm. Your age minus 10 Mm -hmm. is the percentage that you put in the total bond market, Mm. and the rest you put in the total stock market. There it is. Yeah. And then just put money in from your paycheck every single month. So it's super simple. You have to get in there. Yeah. You kind of have to get in there. Yeah. Like, it's almost like that's the only way to learn in a lot of ways. Like, you, you do have to... You can't run away from it. I've been known to run away from it. Yeah. Like I, yeah. Avoidance, that money avoidance. I really do. I run away from it. And I've never been aware of that piece, that it's because I'm avoidant. Like I didn't know why. I've always been like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know. Like I wouldn't recommend that. Like I don't recommend that. You know what I mean? I don't think that's good. I don't like the disconnect I have in a way. But for some reason for me mentally, I feel mentally healthier not seeing it. And mm. not knowing what's happening and and knowing that I'm living far below my means so that I don't have to look ever again, you know? Right. But that's not, I don't know, but I don't know if that's 
healthy necessarily because it's like I should just be involved. Mm. But there's something in me where I'm like, eh, I don't want to see. I don't want to know. Yeah. Like as long as I know that I'm living far below what like, you know, in a very safe area where there's that's fine. Then I don't. I don't know. You know? Yeah. So so let me ask. So we've talked earlier about that internalized imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. right? Where uh, it's like, wait a, wait a minute, I've never had anything even close to this mm-hmm. before. Do you think there's an element of you that, you know, we're often taught like either you work for joy or you work for money. Mm-hmm. You can't do both. Mm-hmm. Is there an element of you that like, if you saw how richly you were getting rewarded for the work that you do, mm. do you think that it would take away from Yes. Mm. Actually, yes. I think like I, there's a lot of guilt, uh, mm. I think, too. Yeah. Like I feel guilty. I'm like, fuck. Right. You know, like I, I I feel bad. Let's dig into that. Yeah. Right. You, how old were you when you started making YouTube videos? 16. Okay. And you, I'm imagining the first week, or the first month that you mm. made videos, how much did you make doing that? Zero. Okay. And did you love it? I did. And did you want to keep doing it? Mm Mm-hmm. And did you ever imagine, I mean, did you think realistically that you would be here? No. Okay. And so fast forward to today. Do you love it just as much? I don't know. Mm. Okay. Do you see yourself continuing to do this 50 years from now? No. Ooh. Actually... Maybe. Actually, maybe. Hmm. Okay. But maybe not. I like the act of making videos. That I would do forever. Yeah. Putting them on the internet is a different thing. Ah, you know? Right. So, like, being on the internet, I think, is where... So, that's actually what it is. I'm realizing. It's not about creating a YouTube video. I love doing that. It's about the internet's involvement. It's about being a public figure. I think I have a really hard time with that. And as your your status as a public figure grew, the money grew in lockstep with that. Mm-hmm. The more of a public figure you became, the bigger the money grew. So I wonder if there's a, an element where you associate the money that you have with the public figure element of your job. That is true. I've had a very hard time with being a public figure. I mean, mm-hmm. I I don't think I'm necessarily built for it. I do think that there are some people who are just naturally a thicker skin, naturally, um, like, enjoy the attention more yeah. than me. Yeah. I do enjoy the attention to an extent. I mean, I there's it's, sometimes it can be so nice. Like, I, I appreciate it. But I don't need it. You know, mm. like, it doesn't right. feed me, ultimately. I don't, I could go without it. I could go without being a public figure. And I actually have moments all the time where I'm like "Mm, I kind of wish I went and did something else that wasn't in the public eye Mm. but maybe gave me the same fulfillment as what I do now it's it's very like I definitely have my fair share of existential crisis but crises but I do think that that's also inevitable like I bet I don't but it's like but here I am and it is great in a lot of ways so you know, and I think fixing that relationship with whether it's me being in the public eye or 
you know, the money of it all. Like, I think fixing that would allow me to just sit in it and maybe even enjoy it. But I have yet to crack that code. Mm. So here, here's what I'm hearing is there's a, the, a craft that you love, which is making videos, mm-hmm. right? And then there's this other thing that came along with it, which is being in the public eye mm-hmm. that you accept as part of your existence, but you don't necessarily love. Yeah. And being in the public eye is also the piece of it that's in lockstep with money. Yes. And so, yes. And so, I, my guess is that the moment that you'll start to actually pay attention to your money is when you make peace with the fact that you're in the public eye. Yes. Wow. That's actually very true. I'm now realizing how connected that is because I'm afraid, like, I like have this, I have this like deep, visceral fear when it comes to being in the public eye. And it's so like, it's almost like because I can't handle that, I almost don't really believe that maybe my financial success is, I'm like, this is going to go away because I know I can't handle being in the public eye for much longer. Right. Like, does that make sense? So it's like, yeah. I think that could be what it is. It's like, I'm not even going to look because this is not going to last. Because I'm going to be, I, I am not strong enough to be here. Like, I will, I will eventually crumble. But also, no, I won't. Like, that, a lot of it is all, like, subconscious sort of little chatter that if I were to truly address, I'm like, no, I've made it this far. I'm going to be fine, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting. It's very rare these days that, you know, with my podcast and with all these things that I realize something new about myself that I've never even touched on in that I have never like. And and so what a treat I like because I really I'm not avoidant with almost anything in my life. Right. Except for that. Right. Yay! Beautiful. Oh, my God. This is amazing. Beautiful. I mean, is there any other advice or anything? I mean, I feel like I've. <laughs> I feel like we've covered everything in the whole world at this point. The core message is to have a healthy relationship with money yep. in the same way that you would have a relationship with with a lover mm-hmm. or with a, a parent or a child mm-hmm. or with yourself. Amen. Right? That's, that's the message. Oh, love it. Thank you so much. That was so great. <laughs>